0: All right, Isaiah 48, the topic there, knowing that his chosen nation will rebel, the Lord promises that he will provide Cyrus, whom he loves, to deliver them. The title of the message, Rebel, Rebel, how could you know Cyrus? I love him so. Let's pray. Father, you're so good to us. You're a great and mighty God, and yet you stoop to speak to us, Lord through your word. You give us your spirit to teach us your word, to interpret your word, so that we will understand it, Lord, in, in between the, the spirit and the, and, and the soul, Lord, of our lives. We, unlike the Israelites, Lord, want to heed your commandments, no matter how difficult, Lord, or delightful. And so I pray that you would give us insight into them today, insight into you, your love of grace, your acceptance, Lord, of us and uh, our inclusion in you so that when the Father sees us, he sees you. Grow us, Lord, we pray, in holiness and love. We pray it in Jesus' name and those who agreed said, amen. What if? Well, that's a question filmmakers like to explore. It's fiction based on alternative history, exploring what might have happened if certain historical events or figures had been different. President John F. Kennedy's surviving assassination is a popular topic in alternative history. Ditto the Nazis winning World War II and what that might have been like. I asked Bing for a list of live action shows that are based on alternative history. It kept going past 65. I mean, it's something that people really seem to enjoy. By far the most spectacular what if in human history was what Jesus proposed. Called the lament of Jesus, the Lord looked out over Jerusalem. He's quoted by Matthew saying, "'O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing.'" There's a lament of that very sort in our text. Oh, that you had heeded my commandments, then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. That's in verse 18. The Lord's intentions to bless them were undermined by their willful disobedience. They were rebels who would endure the alternate history of captivity in Babylon. I'll organize my comments around two points. Number one, Jesus is merciful to anticipate your disobedience. And number two, Jesus is gracious to accelerate your obedience. Let's take a look at the Lord's mercy in verses 1 through 11. Now, by now you realize that the book of Isaiah and the entire Bible places the ethnic descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob center stage. The Apostle Paul told us why when he wrote the letter to the Romans. He said, they are, relating to Israel... God's chosen people. God showed them his glory. He made agreements with them and gave them his law. The temple is there. So are the promises that God made to them. They have those famous ancestors who were also the ancestors of Jesus Christ. And so these are all the things that God uh, brought through the nation of Israel to the rest of the world. God calls Israel the apple of his eye in the book of Zephaniah. Like it or not, Israel has been, it is today, and always will be the most significant nation on earth. Despite her constant failures, God would never, ever cut Israel off. When necessary, he would test them, discipline them in the furnace of affliction. If you have the King James Version, it says, I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. History certainly reveals that they are God's chosen, often afflicted people, right? I mean, that's a perfect summary of the nation of Israel throughout history. Chosen by God, afflicted by the other nations. The modern nation of Israel is the fulfillment of many prophecies. From 1948 forward, they have been tested. They are currently being tested, and not just by the war against Hamas, but by Uh, the anti-Semitism that is being revealed all over the world against them. Israel will face its greatest testing when they are the main actor in the future seven-year time of Jacob's trouble. Uh, Verse 1, hear this, O house of Jacob, who are called by the name of Israel and who have come forth from the wellsprings of Judah, who swear by the name of the Lord, and make mention of the God of Israel, but not in truth or in righteousness, for they call themselves after the holy city, they lean on the God of Israel, the Lord of hosts is his name. As always, the Lord looks within, he looks at the heart. Not in truth means deceived. They were self-deceived into thinking that God would never allow his temple and his city to fall. This is all over the book of Jeremiah, where they, they, you know, Jeremiah will preach a message of repentance and they'll say, well, the temple, the temple. And what they mean is that God's not gonna do anything to us because that's his temple and this is his city. And what they would find out was that, uh, that their relationship to God was more important to him than the stones of the temple and all, and so he allowed the temple to be destroyed by Babylon. Not in righteousness means they were trusting in their own outward show of religious practices in self-righteousness based on works. Uh, They say, hey, God's not going to bother us because we're still going through the motions of the sacrifices. Self-deceived and self-righteous are the characteristics of every person who does not believe Jesus Christ is God. They are self-deceived. They are self-righteous. That's how they think they're going to get into heaven. Verse 3, I have declared the former things from the beginning. They went forth from my mouth, and I caused them to hear it. Suddenly I did them, and they came to pass. Because I knew that you were obstinate, your neck was an iron sinew, and your brow bronze, even from the beginning I have declared it to you. Before it came to pass, I proclaimed it to you, lest you should say, my idol has done them, and my carved image and my molded image have commanded them. It would be about a century before the rise of Babylon to the status of a world power. The Lord predicted it. We saw previously that he also predicted the fall of Babylon, mentioning by name a yet unborn Cyrus, king of Persia, as its conqueror. Believers and unbelievers alike ought to look around and be stunned by the current trends that God predicted in the first century and before. Uh, We did our prophecy update, and that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. We live in a time when uh, prophecy, it's hard to, to push it out of the way, the news story after news story. Hard for me to decide what to even talk about each week, as so much as lining up exactly the way the Bible said. And yet, sadly, I talk to a lot of Christians or interact with them online who say things like, let's not deal with prophecy. Who knows what's going to happen? Let's just live day to day for the Lord. And I'm thinking... I live day to day for the Lord and the knowledge that he could return at any moment. There's nothing more motivational than that. Uh, and and uh, the Bible's 30% prophecy, maybe more. I mean, even if you don't want to talk about prophecy, you have to, if you go through the Bible. I mean, and I guess you could do it with a bitter attitude and say, uh, here's another one of those one in three prophecy verses. Uh, I mean, you know, God says, I, I tell you what's gonna happen before it happens. What an evangelical tool it is. I mean, it's fantastic, and yet um, we shy away from it. And by we, I mean the Christian community. Verse 6, you have heard, see all this, and will you not declare it? I have made you hear new things from this time, even hidden things, and you didn't know them. They are created now and not from the beginning. And before this day, you have not heard of them, lest you should say, of course I knew them. Created now means done right now. The Lord was revealing something to them that was new and could not be found in any previous revelations. Uh, verse 8, it says, Surely you did not hear. Surely you did not know. Surely from long ago your ear was not opened, for I knew that you would deal very treacherously and were called a transgressor from the womb. Now, the first thing they would say to this is, I'm not surely. Surely. I'm so funny. The Lord was talking directly to the future Jews. His predictive prophecies about Babylon and Cyrus could only be explained by the fact that he is the one true God who knows and controls the future. Their idols couldn't help them. But God told them sufficiently early about Babylon so that they wouldn't say, Well, we saw that coming. Uh, You couldn't because there wasn't a Babylon, a nation of Babylon in the sense of a world empire uh, and such, and certainly Cyrus wasn't even born. And so God says, hey, uh, this thing, I'm telling you this now, so when it happens, you'll know it was me. Now, the second sentence in verse 8 can read, from before birth, you were called a rebel, or it can read, from the moment of your birth, I knew you would rebel, or it can read, your heart was turned against me from your earliest days. So which was it? Were they sinners before birth, at the moment of birth, or from the earliest days? Well, we are sinners from womb to tomb, we like to say. We call this the doctrine of original sin. The good folks over at gotquestions.org write, The term original sin refers to Adam's sin of disobedience in eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and its effects upon the rest of the human race. Original sin can be defined as the moral corruption we possess as a consequence of Adam's sin, resulting in a sinful disposition manifesting itself in habitually sinful behavior. We have no ability to overcome sin apart from the grace of the Holy Spirit. How does God the Holy Spirit apply grace to save a person? Well, he must either force you to believe or free you to believe. In the forced case, God's grace would be irresistible, meaning he causes you to have faith to be born again before you can believe. Regeneration, they say, comes before you exercise faith. In the freed will case, God's ra- uh, grace rather, is resistible, meaning you receive Jesus by faith and are then born again. And so he comes, he convicts you of sin and righteousness and of judgment to come. And in that time when your will has been free to make a decision, you uh, receive the Lord and are then born again. Now, there are two things that seem irrefutable to me, at least. Number one, there are passages that bluntly say God's grace is resistible. And another is that the Bible always puts faith or believing before regeneration, Paul said to the Philippian jailer, believe and what? You will be saved. He doesn't say, I think you're saved, so now go ahead and believe. And so we wanna be clear on those things. Verse nine, for my name's sake, I will defer my anger and for my praise, I will restrain it from you so that I do not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I will do it for how should my name be profaned and I will not give my glory to another for my name's sake, for my own sake, for my own sake, for my glory. But God's not a glory hound. His glory revealed through his people is evangelical. He wishes to save the lost who are perishing. And so he says you're to bring my glory before the people to show them what it's like to have a relationship with the living God. The Lord restrained himself in the sense of not giving them what they deserved, which was be to permanently be cut off. And that's what mercy is. It's not getting what you deserve. Instead, it says he refined them in affliction. Now, this isn't the kind of refining God allows in order to purify. In the New Testament, we talk about how God refines us as gold by giving us trials or allowing us to go through trials, and it's like the goldsmith who's firing up the, the gold, it's liquid, and he's you know, getting the impurities out. But God says here clearly, he goes, Not, this isn't the same kind of thing that I'm talking about. I'm talking about disciplining you for your disobedience. And you see the many disciplines of the children of Israel as you go through the Old Testament. It says here, for I knew that you would deal very treacherously. How did God know that? Well, that might seem obvious to you. After all, he's God. He must, therefore, have a perfect foreknowledge of the future. He knows before, that's what foreknowledge is. But does he, uh, excuse me, does his foreknowledge of events foreordain that they must occur? That's a deep question. Is there room for free will? These questions are usually worded, is God sovereign? or do we have free will? And so sometimes I find it uh, functional to go to the extreme. So let's take these both ideas to extremes. On the extreme sovereignty bandwagon are those who say, if there is one single maverick molecule in this universe running around loose, totally free of God's sovereignty, then we have no guarantee that a single promise of God will ever be fulfilled. Now, before you embrace this and say, yes, that's what I believe, just understand that you will be adopting a meticulous determinism by which God becomes the author of sin, responsible for every evil that happens, and that somehow evil glorifies him. Now, beating the extreme drum for free will are guys called open theists. They think that because God loves us and desires that we freely choose to reciprocate his love, He has made his knowledge of and plans for the future conditional upon our action. And though omniscient, God does not know what we will do in the future, that the future is completely a surprise to him. I don't know how you can be omniscient and know everything and not know the entire future. Now, we are not extremists. Of course, God is sovereign. His sovereignty is so great, in fact, that he allows us to exercise genuine free will and then he compensates for it when necessary through his providence. Isn't it obvious that Israel could have chosen otherwise? Isn't that what he's actually saying here? You didn't heed me and so my plan for you had to change. This is clearly what Jesus meant when he prayed for Jerusalem. He said, I wanted... To gather you. I wanted to, which, you know, is illustration of the Lord saying, I wanted to set up my kingdom, but you were not willing. He didn't say, I was here to set up my kingdom, but you couldn't because it's not the time or you don't have free will to choose. No, it's clearly a free will situation. If you find that you are changing the plain sense of the Bible so that it fits into some system you believe works. You are subordinating scripture to your own wisdom. Now don't get me wrong, I love systematic theology and seeing how things fit together and saying, well, this is true because that's true. And it's, it's an amazing thing. There's nothing wrong with systematic theology, except that all of them have to fall short at some point because why? They're human. And we apply human wisdom to God's wisdom and you know that that's got to break down sometime, right? I mean, because we cannot have the mind of God yet, not in these bodies that we're still in. And so we can't let stuff fit, in. we can't make stuff fit into our system. We can't put the square block into the round hole and say, look, that fit, but I had to beat it to death with a hammer to get it in there. Jesus anticipated the apostle Peter's disobedience. He warned Peter that he was being targeted by Satan. The devil wanted permission to sift him as wheat, but Peter would, in fact, deny the Lord. Jesus had prayed for Peter, and he would restore him. I mean, really, Jesus says, hey, Pete, I know you just said that, you know, you would never deny me, but the truth is, here's what's going on. The devil wants you. He wants to make an example of you. He wants to crush you and sift you, and you're going to, you know, that's what he's going to do, sort of, but you're going to come back, and I'm going to forgive you, and You know, I see that coming. So the Lord's like anticipating that he would sin. This is mercy. You know who else God anticipates will sin? Me and you. You know that verse in Lamentations that says God's uh, mercies are new how often? Every morning. You know why they have to be new every morning in the morning? Because from the minute you open your eyes, you have the opportunity to walk with the Lord or walk away from the Lord and sin. And you're going to sin. I, there's no doubt in my mind that I'm going to sin probably before I get out of bed. Uh, it, it's just inevitable. Uh, but the Lord says, I have, I, I've anticipated that. I have mercy for that. I've got a bucket full of mercy for you today, Gene. I've got a truckload of mercy for you. Now, we don't sin that you know, so we can experience God's mercy, not at all, but we're going to sin. You know, John says in, in his epistle, he goes, you don't have to sin, but you're going to sin, and when you do sin, he's faithful and, and just to forgive your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And so uh, the Lord anticipates your sin. You feel awful about it, don't you? You should. You feel awful about your sin, and then you realize, oh, Lord, you, you knew this was going to happen, didn't you? And you let it happen because you, you want me to draw close to you. And thank you for your mercy. I don't deserve to have a relationship with you, but I do. His mercies are new every morning. He's gracious to accelerate your obedience. John Newton, no one hit wonder. Yes, he wrote Amazing Grace, but he had a lot of other hymns. I don't know any of them. (laughs) But he did have a lot of great quotes. Listen to this one. I love this. I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I'm not what I hope to be. But still... I'm not what I used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. Popeye the sailor man. But anyway, (laughs) mercy clears the deck for Jesus to engulf you in his grace. Verse 12, listen to me, O Jacob and Israel, my called, I am he, I am the first, I am the last. Indeed, my hand has laid the foundation of the earth and my right hand has stretched out the heavens when I call to them, They stand up together. The person in these two verses is the creator of heaven and earth. He says he is first and last. That means he was not part of the creation. He is not himself a created being. First and the last. Now, we would interpret that because we have read the book of the Revelation as the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. And so this is an obvious uh, claim that Jesus Christ is God. The creator God in, this, in these verses is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last of the book of the Revelation, and that's Jesus. Verse 14, all of you assemble yourselves and hear. Who among them has declared these things? The Lord loves him, and he shall do his pleasure on Babylon, and his arm shall be against the Chaldeans. I, even I, have spoken. Yes, I have called him, I have brought him, and his way shall prosper. This is another person. The Lord called him, brought him, will prosper him. He was uh, the person that would strong arm the Chaldeans and conquer Babylon. Now, we know from earlier in Isaiah and from history that this is Cyrus the Great, who was not yet born. Uh, and so we, you know, we don't get his name here, but he's already been named, and we know who it is. Notice the phrase, the Lord loves him. He was a loved unbeliever that's important that's important God really isn't willing that any should perish he really does love the world there are people uh, we talked about theology a minute ago and forcing certain things to fit so you and I you know first verse that we really learn probably is first or is John 316 for God so loved who the world well maybe right what do you mean? Well, you know, there's a certain theology out there that says, you know, if God loved the whole world, then the whole world would be saved. But since the whole world is not saved, then God doesn't love the whole world. He just loves the world of elect people. Oh, really? Uh, what about Cyrus? We don't want to talk about Cyrus. That's Old Testament. <laughs> God loved him. doesn't say he was saved. He wasn't. doesn't say he got saved. It just says God loved this beloved unbeliever, right? And so very important, God really does love the world and all the people in it. The fact that they don't all get saved, that's not on God. See, they say, well, that's a failure. That's not a failure. That's a decision. And we should strive with people to make a better decision, but God does love the world. Now, the Lord announces this to an assembly of his chosen, Undoubtedly, you opened a gift that had some assembly required. Don't you love that? Some assembly required. They might as well say major assembly required by a sophisticated single person, uh, purpose tool rather that you wish you had, or you'd be better off. I remember, I was trying to remember what it was, something years ago at the end said, you may want to consult somebody about putting this together. And I thought, oh, <laughs> that's going to be fun, you know. So many things have to be put together. Now, you know, what I don't understand lately is the directions because they're all in some language I don't understand. They're in English, but they're not in English, you know what I mean? It's like green button press. Where is that green button? And it takes me hours. And they always send me the one tool. I have 300 Allen wrenches. How many? I've got a drawer full of Allen wrenches. It's like all you need is an Allen wrench to put this together. But, oh, man, be careful you don't make too. Oh, oh, it's gone. We have a cart here at the church I put together, the white cart, and um, you have to be really careful with it because I didn't screw it together right, and so the handle pulls up and off. Uh, And there's no way to fix it once everything else went together. And so it's like, okay, so, you know, it's just insane. It's a reminder of my bumblingness. Uh, They don't let me touch any tools anymore here, but... uh, (laughs) It says here that God is great at assembling. I've been fascinated by the insight that any time we get together, we are a unique assembling of gods. I like that. The assembly of God. That You know, that's actually not a bad name for a church, the assembly of God, but we would probably call it the assembling of gods. Then nobody would come. But anyway, when we arrived, we came to church today, we assembled. We see and greet People, we, we sit at a certain place, maybe our regular seat, maybe not. We hear and say different things. Anyway, our whole experience here, it'll never be the same. We'll never repeat. It. We don't want to repeat it, but we never will. It's always unique and special. And, and God says that's because we're living stones. And, and the Lord says, I want to build you guys right now. He goes, imagine you were Legos. You know, it's sometimes you have a set of Legos, you know, 3,000 Legos builds a microphone or something like that, you know, build Pastor Gene's podium with 3,000, or you've just got a bunch of Legos. Oh, by the way, parents, somebody has a Lego vacuum now. Have you seen that? So that you don't step on the Legos, that you go around with a vacuum and it's got a big mouth, it's strictly for Legos. Anyway, so, you know, it's like what? So God says, okay, Gene came to church, and, you know, these people came to church, and the worship team came to, everybody came to church, you know, and and so where's everybody going to sit, and what am I going to do? How do I want to prompt individuals what to do and what to say and minister one to another? And I think we should come with an expectation that God wants to build us into something that maybe your child would build and say, hey, look what I made out of Legos, Dad. It's a castle, it's a fortress, it's a, a garage, it's a beast, it's whatever it is. It's like, and it's always going to be different, but it's always going to minister to the Father because he's the one that's putting us together. And so just want to be used by him. Verse 16, come near to me, hear this. I have not spoken in secret from the beginning. From the time that it was, I was there. And now the Lord God and his spirit have sent me. Oh, wait a minute. Is this a clear, undeniable reference to God as a trinity? Jesus says, I was always there, meaning what? For eternity, he's an eternal being. And he says, guess who else was there? The Lord God and the Spirit. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And they sent Jesus to earth in his incarnation. So this is a great Christmas verse. You know, most of you had, uh, not most of you, Isaiah really has the market on Christmas verses, right? I mean, a lot of Christmas verses in Isaiah, but this is one that I haven't seen. This is Christmas in Isaiah 48. Verse 17, thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I'm the Lord, your God, who teaches you to profit, who leads you by the way you should go. God's direction in your life is custom designed with the intent that you will profit if you follow his lead. Now you're going to profit spiritually. Don't get all excited about thinking you won the lottery Uh, you're going to profit spiritually. You may profit physically as well, and that's great. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with having wealth as long as wealth doesn't have you. But the Lord says, I have designed your life when you come to me for you to profit spiritually if you'll only follow my lead, which you learn from reading God's word and fellowshipping with God's people, from spending time in prayer, and becoming familiar with what the voice of the Holy Spirit sounds like in your life. Verse 18, O oh, that you had heeded my commandments! Then your peace would have been like a river, and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Your descendants also would have been like the sand, and the offspring of your body like the grains of sand. His name would not have been cut off nor destroyed before me. Now, what's going on here? Is God saying, I'm reneging on my promises to Abraham. You know Abraham was told your descendants would be the sand of the sea. No, he's saying that this moment in your history could have been the fulfillment of all of that if you had only heeded me. Then all of those things would have happened. God's original plan for Israel after the exodus from Egypt was for them to conquer the promised land in a matter of days, not decades. Had they heeded his commands, the promises of verse 18 and 19 would have been immediate, and they would have been immediate after the Babylonian captivity, and they would have been immediate after Jesus uh, came to earth the first time because he said, look, I wanted to gather you and do things, but you said no. And this is a mind blower when you think about it because you think, how would any of that worked out? I mean, we have the completed scripture. I mean, what did God change his mind? How would that how can you say that all of those things will be true? I'm not saying it, God is. He said, if you had obeyed me, then none of this would be happening because we would be doing this other thing. Who's heard of quantum entanglement? Uh, yeah, well, you probably have, yeah. You, you could probably explain it too. But anyway, I, ha- I just know it's, a ch- I thought it was the sequel to Quantum Leap. Uh, <laughs> There's something called quantum entanglement, and all I know about it is that it's theoretically true while at the same time being impossible. And that's why I only got as far as geometry. (laughs) It's theoretically true. It's been proven to be theoretically true, but it's impossible. Wouldn't you think if you're dealing with God with all the greatness and the glory and the wonder of God, that there might be a few things that he understands that you and I don't and can't. Now, it's not a cop-out. It sounds like a cop-out. It's like, oh, whatever you can't explain, you say, you know, it's God's. But no, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that there, there seem to be a lot of things held in tension in the Bible, right? It's like, well, over here, there's this extreme, you know, that says this. And, and here's this other, God doesn't know the future. Oh, he knows it so well that nothing can happen except what he wants to happen, and he's the author of evil. And since neither of them can be right, but both of them have, you know, God is sovereign and we do have free will, we can't understand that, can we? We can't. And, and there's a lot of things in the Bible like that, and that's why when the, when the Bible says something plainly, we take it at its self, uh, at its plain value, its plain meaning, rather, And we don't necessarily have to, you know, gronk it into our theology. We just say, hey, both of these things are true simultaneously. And that's as as far as my wisdom wants to go with it. Because if I, otherwise I end up creating a different God than the God of the Bible. A God who is either subordinate to me or who's a monster in forcing me to do certain things. And so just be content. Be content with reading the words as they are in their plain sense. And if, if God wanted to say he died to save the elect, he would have said that. But he said, I've died to save the world. I am the savior of who? All men, especially those who believe. And so it's, it's clear, it's just not, it's, it's not always logical to us. It's not that God is illogical. It's that we can't fathom the depth of his wisdom. And one day we will. And we'll think, why did I spend so much time on Twitter arguing with those people about what I believe when I could have been witnessing and bringing people into the kingdom? Verse 20, go forth from Babylon, flee from the Chaldeans with a voice of singing, declare, proclaim this, utter it to the ends of the earth, say, the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. That's just how they did it too. The remnant ought to think of it as a new exodus. It was occasion for singing and shouting praises. Sadly, many had grown comfy in Babylon and stayed there. God set them free and they stayed there. Fear had kept them from the promised land after Egypt. Prosperity kept them in Babylon. Verse 21, they did not thirst when he led them through the deserts. He caused the waters to flow from the rock for them. He also split the rock and the waters gushed out. If you were the richest man in the world, it would be like having a counterfeit penny compared to the riches of the faith of the torrent of God, the Holy Spirit living within you. To to have the treasures of salvation and the things of God, to know them, to interact with God, to have a relationship with God, that is true riches and value. It's good to recall God's previous spiritual blessings, Maybe you can't think of any because you're suffering too much, too many tears. Maybe you should post a Job meme on your website that says, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. He also shall be my salvation. I know sometimes we come across as a little bit uncaring, a little bit unfeeling. Um, We're not. Uh, It's just that eventually you have to get through your pain and say, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Uh, because we live in a terrible world that's fallen into sin, by the choice of our parents in the Garden of Eden and passed on down to us. It may not seem fair, but it, it, as far as fairness, uh, and the other, you know, here's one thing that's fair about it: because one man sinned and all are condemned, one man can die for the sin of all and all be saved. And that one man, of course, is Jesus Christ. And so God knows what He's doing. This is fair. And and when it's over, he will have us as eternal beings in glorified bodies with true free will who are unable to sin just like him. We won't be God, but we will be like God in the greatest way possible, and we will enjoy a wonderful eternity. And so, um, you know, the riches of God are what we are all about. Um, And when you are doubting God or in terrible pain, Um, remember that his son died for you. He knows what it's like to lose. Jesus knows what it's like to die. Uh, And it was all necessary because the wages of sin is death. Someone has to die. And uh, Jesus died. And, and, you know, the Lord could come right now. But then, you know, I'm I'm guessing that somebody in the world is going to get saved tomorrow, right, somewhere, even one. And so, if the Lord came right now, I'd be, man, I, I can't wait one way or the other. But uh, about that one person tomorrow? And so the Lord says, I am long suffering. I'll wait as long as I can. Of course, the longer he waits, the more awful the world gets. You know, it's like a Days of Noah situation. And you think, man, how bad can it get before the Lord says, I, I, it's over? So that's all what's happening. Verse 22. There's no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. Albert Barnes wrote, Many of their countrymen would choose to remain in Babylon. They had formed connections there, amassed wealth, and refused to attend those who returned to Judea and rebuild the temple. As we said, staying in Babylon would be comfy, but they would not experience God's peace. Reminds me of the rich young ruler The Lord said, hey, get rid of all your riches, come and follow me. And he said, I've got a lot of stuff, Lord. And I I just think that's a little bit too much. And at some point, all of us, to follow the Lord, we have to divest ourselves of everything, really, and say, Lord, you're everything to me. You are my sufficiency. Relationships, wealth, position, power, authority, nothing means as much to me as you do. Ever drive a Tesla? Then you know what acceleration is. Uh, I, you also might know what a lithium fire is, but. <laughs> you catching all these uh, pictures of Teslas just blowing up and on fire? It's uh, just, like I talked to our local fire and they said, well, there's a like a million dollar thing that you can buy to put out Tesla fires or you can just watch them burn. <laughs> so. Make sure that they don't catch anything else on fire. So sooner or later, with all the Teslas around here, I'm, I'm a prophet now. Just you're gonna. <laughs> now I hope not. Especially if you have a Tesla. if you have a Tesla, God bless you. It's a great car, and uh... I wouldn't mind. But man, I tell you the truth. The fir- but man, zero to sixty lickety split is what I call it. Woo, man, your face is f- 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 <laughs> you know, like a cartoon, blah, 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 blah. and. Uh, Scared me, you know, I thought I was gonna have a heart attack. John Ecker is still apologizing to me every time I see him. He says, I'm sorry, I didn't realize. It was like being on the Incredicoaster, you know, where there's a countdown. Three, two, one, man. Every time I'm on that thing, I think I'm, I'm gonna die before I get to the loop you know, and stuff because it's like G-forces. And so I'm using that word here, accelerate. Walk with the Lord and his living water will become a torrent that accelerates your growth, right? We can do what we want. We can heed ourselves and kind of wander in a wilderness of our own doing, uh, of our own making. Or we can follow the Lord and and his leading and watch him just just use us in in really remarkable ways. And that's where we want to be, especially in these last days.